What's going on guys, it's your man with the plan, Samuel Plan, coming back at you with another brand new installment of Sports Entertainment is Dead right here on Lords of Pain Radio. Okay, welcome to the show guys, thanks for tuning in. As always, if you missed last week's episode, please do go ahead, listen to it on demand. You can download it at Blog Talk Radio or, of course, lordsofpain.net. Thank you if you did listen last week because I have to say I had an overwhelmingly positive response to the show. Uh, For those of you who may not be aware, last week I did a real-time watch-along with the 2009 Royal Rumble match and explained blow-by-blow, minute-by-minute, why I felt it was the best of its kind. I told people to get in contact with me, tell me if they liked it, if they didn't like it. And I have to say, every comment I got, everybody who got in touch, I had messages on Facebook, Twitter, lordspain.net. You know, I even had a, a couple of emails through. Everybody seemed to really enjoy it. So thanks if you got in touch with me. Always get in touch with your thoughts on the show. They mean a lot to me and they help me try and make this the best show on Lords of Pain Radio. And hell, I want to make it the best wrestling podcast on the internet. And I can only do that with your help. And I'll be sure to revisit that concept sometime in the future as well. Because like I said, went down a storm. It was a blast to do. I've already got in mind a match that I'd love to do heading into WrestleMania. If it all pans out, it all depends on sort of timings and stuff. Uh, but we'll definitely be revisiting that concept again in the future here on, on SEID. So thanks again for getting in touch. If you've not listened to that show yet, go to Blog Talk Radio, go to lordsofpain.net, wherever you may be listening to this show, download it. And hell, if you listen to it, enjoyed it, give it another listen. Why the hell not? So... Thanks again for that. This week, of course, we move swiftly on. And this Sunday, this is the week. This is the Sunday, folks. It's Royal Rumble week. I am so, so excited. If you've been reading my columns, if you've been listening to the show, you will know by now how much I love the Royal Rumble. uh, And I get so amped up. I, I get this Friday off of work. I get the whole next week off of work. I've got a nice long weekend ahead of me to enjoy the spoils. Got lots of great content coming your way, by the way, on LordsOfPain.net. This week, as the same day this podcast goes out, I'll have posted the latest instalment of my top 60 non-winning performances in Royal Rumble history of all time. So go go give that a read, and then I'll be posting the second and third and, and final instalments, I should say. Uh, that's the fifth and final instalments, I should say, on Friday and Sunday, respectively. So check those out. You could check me out on the right side of the pond this Friday. I'll be on Aftershock live after the Royal Rumble itself on Sunday, and I'll also hopefully have a first reactions column up early Monday, uh, Monday morning my time, which should be Sunday night, late Sunday night your time. So I've got a busy, busy week ahead. And it all really starts in earnest with this show. Because as is tradition now here on Sports Entertainment is Dead. And there's, ka-ching, a royalty payment for the right side of the pond. Uh, long-time pond listeners will know what that's in reference to. Um, the rest of you will have to go back and listen to the entire back catalogue of the right side of the pond. Anyway, I get distracted. This is how excited you can tell how giddy I am, can't you guys? Uh, it's it's the alternative pre-show. It's alternative pre-show day here on Sports Entertainment is Dead as I bring you an alternative look to what you will get on the pre-show for Royal Rumble itself. And to be honest, it's kind of a tricky one to do because so much of it rides on the actual Royal Rumble match and unfortunately as the years have gone by, WWE have kind of lost the art largely of coming up with sort of individual agendas that I think really fuel a great Royal Rumble match. But we'll get into certainly the men's Royal Rumble match. I may take a quick look at the the women's Royal Rumble match as well, though I think there's a little less 
uh, in there to sort of really pick apart. And we'll be looking at some of the matches on the undercard. I have to say that the undercard this year looks tremendous. Yes, it's all sort of exclusively championship matches. And I do kind of like a Royal Rumble event that has, you know, at least one kind of non-title grudge match on there. Uh, but they're rarely come, back, come by uh, these days. Not going to complain, though. It's got a, you know, it's... A, Big show this year, big stadium. Looking forward to seeing how the baseball stadium translates. We know people are going to be coming up out of the dugout, which is going to be really cool to see. You know, it's going to be a four-hour event, but the Royal Rumble tends to fly by because, of course, two of those four hours are made up strictly by Royal Rumble matches. And before you know it, you're on entrance 20 on the night. I mean, I just love them. Uh, But we've got some really great undercard championship matches here. We're going to go through some of them. Some of them, uh, you know, typically I don't really have... Well, I say typically. I don't really have much to say about I mean Ronda Rousey Sasha Banks Raw Women's Championship you know there's some there's some mild interest in there and in that Sasha Banks will of course be giving Ronda Rousey uh, sort of Ronda's first big technical challenge in the ring in fact let's let's take a second here I guess that's a good place to start let's pick this apart from the 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 way this narrative has progressed I actually don't have really much to offer on this. It's been almost sort of one note, which is Ronda kind of embracing the challenge of a Sasha Banks. We know, of course, in the past, Ronda has has sort of gone on record and said that she would love to wrestle someone like Sasha Banks, who she sees as being on sort of that next level, uh, and has sort of almost in in self-deprecating fashion talked about how she doesn't consider herself to be on the Sasha Banks level. And of course, recently, Ronda's also done an interview where she's talked about what she feels she needs to do to prove that she's a quote-unquote real wrestler which isn't a term I necessarily care for, but is one that gets used in common parlance. And I guess if anyone on the Raw Women's roster is going to give her that challenge, it's going to be a Sasha Banks. Uh, We've already seen Ronda go toe-to-toe with Charlotte, who is, of course, a very sort of technically sound wrestler. Uh, But their one encounter with one another at Survivor Series was scrappy, and it was fueled by aggression and, and intensity and hostility. It wasn't really a technical wrestling match. And while Sasha Banks has this larger than life personality, we know that the boss has a tendency to let the kind of the, the heat of the battle uh, get the the best of her and, and sort of see us sort of slide back into what she was in her more deplorable days in NXT. And if you need proof of that, go back and watch her performance in the Royal Rumble match last year, particularly when it gets down to the final four. So we know that Sasha Banks is likely, in the heat of a, of a, of a contest with Ronda, to perhaps start reverting back to the boss that a lot of people fell in love with her for in the first place. And if the boss does really come out to the forefront of her personality, that's going to be a real challenge for Ronda in the same way that we've seen uh, Becky and Charlotte prove to be a real challenge for Ronda in the recent past. But what's going to be fascinating is Sasha doesn't have the size of a Charlotte Flair on her side. She doesn't necessarily have the strength of a Charlotte Flair on her side. Uh, and even though she's got that attitude, I think it's 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 not unfair to say that her style in the ring is perhaps prone to being a bit flashier than a Becky Lynch. And that's going to be the real challenge for Ronda in this match, I think. You know, Ronda, she's got that technical proficiency. She's got that UFC foundation. We know what she's capable of absorbing in terms of punishment in the ring. But the real challenge of this is going to be to see Ronda Rousey rise to the occasion of a technical wrestling match. And I can't speak for whether or not it's going to go down that route. It may very well, the more intense it gets, as Ronda's matches have a tendency uh, to, it may get more and more like a you know like a brawl or or a, or a fist fight uh but if Sasha's clever she's gonna you know knowing that Ronda's said things that she said about her view of Sasha 
the, the boss will try and, and use that to a psychological advantage, I think, and almost try and intimidate Ronda. Maybe bringing the boss out is the answer to this. Not because, you know, she needs to go toe-to-toe with Ronda in terms of the, the sort of the... Uh, What's the word I'm looking for here? The kind of the intimidation factor. Because I don't think that you can intimidate Ronda in that kind of overt way. But to almost intimidate Ronda by being the boss in terms of, you know, showing what she can do in the ring, showing why she really kind of, alongside Bailey at TakeOver Brooklyn, gave a real kind of push on the so-called women's revolution. Why it is that Sasha is widely recognized still as one of the best female wrestlers in the world? And we've, we've kind of seen Sasha's bravado recently as well in interviews of her own, at the same time that Ronda has been talking about feeling the need to prove herself as a real wrestler, at the same time that she's been talking about how she feels in the past she's not been on, on the level of a Sasha Banks. We've now recently been hearing Sasha Banks say in interviews that she considers herself to be better than at least half of the male roster. Sasha confidence is by no means uh, it's by no means wavered over the last year in spite of the fact she's had a relatively quiet year alongside Bailey it's 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 the same it's always been and what you're going to see is that grow the more that she's able to take the fight to Ronda and that might just very well put Ronda on a bit of a back foot so it's going to be very interesting to see how it unfurls and of course we've got high stakes now you know it's not just a women's championship match anymore but it's a women's championship match with direct Wrestlemania implications Uh, and whether that piles the pressure on Ronda Rousey of course had a debut match last year at Wrestlemania so she's very familiar with the grandiosity of that stage and the, the meaning of that stage and what bolstered what uh sorry i'm getting ahead of myself here how much that can bolster your career by doing well on that stage she's very much aware of all that so you've got all that pressure then you've got all the pressure of having been so open and honest about her opinion of her opponent and then you've got all the pressure of an opponent being so open and honest about her own self-belief in her talents this may just be ronda's biggest challenge yet not because of size like nia jacks not because of of savvy like Alexa Bliss, but because of a combination of technical proficiency, inherent legacy, uh, and uh, of of Sasha Banks being the boss. Uh, who's going to win? It's difficult really to tell, but it's going to be all based on whether or not... It's going to be based on how Ronda responds on the night. And if Ronda can respond effectively, then she may very well have this one in hand. And it's going to be a huge boost for her heading into a WrestleMania season because, lest we forget, of course, we know that Charlotte Flair has entered, I believe, the Women's Royal Rumble match this year. And she's going to be gunning, you have to think, uh, for Ronda Rousey's Raw Women's Championship if she wins that Royal Rumble, considering the past between the two of them. So there's a lot riding. It's a pressure cooker environment for Ronda Rousey more than it's ever been. But listen, you know, the other thing to say here is that Ronda Rousey's entire stint in WWE has been one big pressure cooker. It was a pressure cooker when everyone expected it to fail during a debut at WrestleMania. It was a pressure cooker when her first pay-per-view match was a main event against Nia Jax for the Women's Championship. It was a pressure cooker when she was expected to go toe-to-toe with a Becky Lynch at Survivor Series and then a Charlotte Flair at Survivor Series on short notice, both of whom were in the ascendancy on the back of their own rivalry having headlined uh, Evolution. It was a pressure cooker Evolution when she had to take on Nikki Bella, and each and every single time Ronda Rousey's risen to the occasion. So, on the one hand, Sasha may have Ronda's number if Ronda can't respond effectively. On the other hand, if Ronda can and beat Sasha Banks, what a boost that's going to be for her as she heads into WrestleMania, perhaps faced with the potential prospect of a Charlotte Flair breathing down her neck if Charlotte Flair could pull out a victory in the Women's Royal Rumble match this year. 
the countenance to, of course, the Raw Women's Championship match is the SmackDown Women's Championship match. Now, as per usual with these alternative pre-shows, because I'm in the UK, I obviously have to record these on Tuesday night, ready to go out on the Wednesday, so SmackDown Live hasn't yet aired. Please, therefore, take any preview I do of any SmackDown-orientated match, or indeed any match involving a SmackDown superstar, uh, with the acknowledgement that things can always change at the drop of a dime, as evidenced at Survivor Series, when they basically just changed the entire card while I was recording this show. Nonetheless, as it stands, we have Asuka defending her SmackDown Women's Championship against Becky Lynch. Now, what's fascinating to me about this situation is that really it's all going to be, for my mind, about proving who has stopping power. And the reason I say that is, I wrote not too long ago, it might have been on Twitter, or or I, I did something somewhere where I spoke about, it may even have been on the right side of the pond, I know. Well, in fact, I know I definitely spoke about it on the right side of the pond, about maybe Becky Lynch's uh, swell of support. Perhaps it was on Twitter, perhaps beginning to get a little samey, perhaps her act getting a little samey, you know, m- m- the whole motor mouth on Twitter thing. Maybe some of the sport fading out. I don't know if that's reflective of the the wider audience. Maybe those of you listening can get in touch and, and let me know what your opinion of Becky Lynch's situation is at the minute. But it certainly seems like she's less talked about these days than she had been at the back end of last year. Uh, maybe it's cooled off a little bit. I Call me a cynic, but I feel like the whole swell of support she enjoyed at the back end of the year wasn't based on anything too real. That It, it all felt a little bit like it was... Uh, propelled a, a large deal by the kind of the, the controversy on the back of what happened at SummerSlam and the fact that it kind of came out of the blue. And so I'm not sure how much longevity, how much stopping power her current popularity uh, is set to uh, set to enjoy, how much her her career boost is set to go on and I think that she actually still needs to prove that it has that stopping power and that it, it that it's not just um, uh, a, a short-term thing uh, because I do think that you know like I said it's it's cooled off a little bit uh, and she's talked on Twitter about how she believes since Asuka won that championship that you know Asuka has sort of called the championship off and Becky has been talking about who's red hot when she was champion as if she's forgotten about the fact that for the last two months of last year she barely wrestled a match because of an injury Uh, Nonetheless, I do feel like the man, as she calls herself, still has a little bit of something to prove, which is that she's not just a one-hit wonder, that she's not just the kind of, you know, a a kind of novelty Christmas act, so to speak, if if she was a musician, for example, getting that big Christmas number one then being heard of again, you know, that she has stopping power and that there is something more to this swollen support that she's had and she's not just all talk. But the fascinating thing is, whether you agree or or disagree with that stance, is that she's in the ring with Asuka at at Royal Rumble, and Asuka herself has the same thing to prove. Because Asuka went into, you know, last year's Royal Rumble as one of the favourites to win the Women's Royal Rumble match, which of course she did. She went into WrestleMania undefeated, set to challenge Charlotte for the Women's Championship, and she lost. And since she lost, it's been a downhill trend for Asuka throughout all of 2018 and even her victory at TLC could be said to have only been down to the interference of Ronda Rousey. Now we know that Becky Lynch of course had been being in a position to wrestle for the SmackDown Women's Championship uh, this year at Royal Rumble there's there's maybe some doubt in the air as to whether she'll appear in the Women's Royal Rumble match it wouldn't be unprecedented for the losing challenger in a championship match to later appear in the Royal Rumble we've seen it in recent years uh, but it, you know it's by no means guaranteed. Uh, so that's going to motivate Becky, but but Asuka is very much 
aware of her own stature and that's been proven time and again in the way she carries herself in her matches. She has a confidence. She knows that she's a big deal, which means she probably knows that her star's faded a little bit and she's going to be out to prove that she has the stopping power as well, that she wasn't just an undefeated streak, that she just wasn't, you know, a one-hit wonder in terms of a single story that did her well and that was it. You know, so you've got two women, two very competitive women, Two women with very physical in-ring styles, with very physical sensibilities right now, and a, and a physical psychology to their ring games. Both in a position, I believe, where they're going to have to prove they have that stopping power. They're going to have to prove that they aren't just a gimmick, that they aren't just, like I said, a one-hit wonder, that they are the real deal. And that's only going to, I think, further inflame what I fully expect to be an intense, physical you know, high-octane match between two women who I dare say are going to wrestle quite cautiously, at least to begin with. I get the impression that they're both, you know, as much as they may, Becky Lynch in particular may run her mouth about, you know, trash-talking the others and, and, and considering themselves superior, I think they both have a very respectful awareness of the capabilities of their opponents. So I wouldn't be shocked to see a slow beginning to this, but I also wouldn't be shocked to see it escalate quite quickly once it starts to begin to get physical, and knowing the two women involved, I would expect it's going to not be very long before it does get very physical. So it's going to be very interesting to see that one. As to who wins, it's very difficult. As much as I would like to say that I think Becky Lynch should should go into this here as, a, as something of a favourite with a point to prove, given the kind of streak she was on at the back end of last year and, and the matches that she was winning, the truth is that we've all seen what Asuka is capable of when she's holding a championship. There's a reason why nobody ever beat her for a title in NXT, and I think as much as Becky may be fueled a little bit more by the, the Ronda Rousey situation, the prospect of, of chasing her, uh, uh, chasing getting that title back that she was robbed of because of Ronda, I don't know, I'm leaning towards Asuka. A final prediction, as always, will come on the right side of the pond, but it's it's fascinating to consider how you have two women in, in mirroring positions to one another uh, with both similar things to prove, high-stakes environment again, direct WrestleMania implications. Very, very interesting indeed. But of course... They're not the main event, or you wouldn't expect them to be the main event for the SmackDown side of things at Royal Rumble, because that's likely to be Daniel Bryan defending the WWE Championship against AJ Styles. And if you want to talk about a situation that has escalated into an intense place, then you need to talk about Daniel Bryan and AJ Styles. Of course, this will be the fourth match that we've seen the two of them wrestle now. And what's going to be very, very telling on the night is how... You know, is whether either of them have been able to break the deadlock. Now, you may say there's no real deadlock here. Daniel Bryan is the champion. He's beaten AJ twice now. But don't forget that Bryan won the title by underhanded means and that the first time these two wrestled in November of last year, AJ Styles didn't just win, but he won by submission. So it is very much, I think, a deadlock. And what you've seen in the matches, regardless of the outcome, is a deadlock. I've said before, I said it on the TLC uh performance art review and I've said it during my review of their match during my sort of my end of year awards show one of the defining aspects of their feud in the ring has been how you have these two individuals of equally deep offensive resources in the ring in other words they're both capable of pulling out moves you've not seen them do before they're both capable of innovating new offense in the ring they're both capable of pulling out a new trick to try and surprise their opponent because they're both so technically proficient they're both such passionate students 
of the martial art, let's say, of professional wrestling. Now, that deadlock has been has been it's just it's not wavered through the three matches that they've already had. You've seen them kind of because the other thing is they both I've, I've said this before as well. They both have these very powerful natural in-ring instincts as well that sort of, you know, intuit responses to what their opponent is doing in a kind of, um, you know, kind of a, a go-with-the-flow type of situation, you know, improvisational situation. Uh, but the problem is because they're, they're both so adept at the same time, when they've, often when they've followed their instinctive reaction, the other guy's been able to counter the counter. That's, that's why I say this is a deadlock. The two of them, you know, they both need something to try and snap the tension in this tug of war. And I used that metaphor deliberately because we've seen recently videos emerge of what they've been doing to each other on the house circuit, where, of course, they've, they've continued to wrestle. When I say they wrestle four times, I mean, of course, on a big stage. But they've, they've wrestled on the house circuit, and we've seen them utilize the ring rope as a weapon. That's how intense this has gotten. You know, when the ring rope comes off, when the, the arena in which they're meant to be doing battle breaks they still don't stop. Instead, they pick the rope up and they start using that as a weapon. They start lashing out with that, again, perhaps to break that martial deadlock. Now, I'm not saying that's, of course, going to happen at the Royal Rumble. That's the sort of thing that happens completely by chance. But it does intimate that, that it may just be something uh, extracurricular, let's say, that breaks the deadlock. Or maybe it could be something... I, I hesitate to use the word philosophical, but maybe a, a mental aspect to the match. Because, you know, you look at the kind of promo that Daniel Bryan cut on SmackDown Live not too long ago, when he was in the, the concession stand, ranting and raging and railing. One wonders whether or not that's going to affect Daniel Bryan's focus in the ring, whether or not he has taken on almost too much of a personal crusade to his WWE Championship reign, that he's going to be perhaps a little too obsessive about trying to prove a point that really he kind of doesn't really need to prove all that much. I mean, it may come, of a sh- it come as a shock to the new Daniel Bryan to learn that actually a lot of his views are shared by a lot of, of, of people in what is an increasingly sort of left-wing orientated social climate. I mean, maybe not immediately right now, but, but just generally speaking over the last sort of decade or so. Uh, but he's he's nonetheless, you know, he's he's become very militant in his views. And when he's pitched against an AJ Styles, who we know is, of course, openly quite a right-wing leaning individual politically, what you have is a clash of ideology. And when you have a Daniel Bryan, a new Daniel Bryan, who is seemingly so obsessed with this sense of personal responsibility that is placed on his shoulders to use his championship reign as a platform to try and prove some kind of bizarre point that, like I said, generally doesn't need proving, but that for whatever reason he feels needs to be proven because he thinks that everybody in the WWE universe needs to be lectured and he thinks everybody that he wrestles in the ring needs to be lectured. You know, one wonders whether that's going to take things too far for him. Now, you know, he enjoys championship advantage, so if that translates into him, you know, low-blowing AJ or using a chair or doing something extracurricular, as I said earlier, then he could very well retain the championship that way. And indeed, I think AJ needs to be very much aware that Daniel Bryan may even try and do something like that, because for Bryan at this point, you know, holding on to that championship is the key to having the platform to spread his message, not retaining the championship cleanly through victories. You know, because a disqualification, you leave as champion. And if you if you leave as champion, usually you head into the next show as champion. If you head into the next show as champion, you're going to be in the main event. If you're in the main event, you still have the same platform. 
So right now, I think this is a Daniel Bryan, a new Daniel Bryan, who is more focused on the ends than the means, whereas previously, I think that both were equitable in his mind. And I think a lot of the things that he's been saying about, you know, uh, the whole fighting for dreams thing and whatnot, I think, you know, this is a Daniel Bryan who's reached this point because of of the of the traumatic experience of his retirement that he's failed to emotionally process adequately, uh, and that means that he's in emotionally quite an unhinged place. Ultimately, it's not just a philo- philosophical thing; it's it's just a genuinely emotional thing. Um, the problem, of course, is that AJ Styles is an emotional guy himself. We've seen this time and again, and uh, you know, one wonders if this was a Shinsuke Nakamura challenging Daniel Bryan, if this was uh, a Seth Rollins challenging Daniel Bryan, if this was a Dean Ambrose even challenging uh, Daniel Bryan or a Triple H, that any of these or Bray Wyatt, you know, any of these kinds of guys, it you'd have to you'd have to put surefire money on them walking away with the WWE Championship because they'd be able to utilize Daniel Bryan's impassioned fervor to their advantage. Uh, because they're thinking men's wrestlers. They're able to manipulate people's emotions effectively, and we've seen this demonstrated time and again. The problem with AJ Styles is he's probably the one guy, you know, that if if there is a risk that Brian may may go too far and lose his championship because of a mistake he makes because of this emotional rage that he's in, luckily for him, he's in there with AJ, and AJ is probably the last male performer on the entire roster who'd be capable of taking advantage of that because AJ's just as likely to get just as emotional in return. We've seen how thin his skin is through his feud with Shinsuke Nakamura, through his feud with Samoa Joe last year. It does not take all that much to get under AJ Styles' skin. So if Daniel Bryan does get to that breaking point, he may yet be saved by the fact that AJ Styles has that thin skin and he, that he's not in there with a Shinsuke or a Rollins or a Ambrose or a Triple H or, you know, whoever. You know, he's not in there with a thinking man's wrestler. Hell, maybe even someone like Randy Orton would be able to take advantage of that. But this, I guess, ultimately then, it's about two things. And that is the the deadlock in the ring that the two of them have been have been sort of, sort of magnetically uh, uh, unable to escape from. Uh, and then you know the 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 emotional aspect to this as well, and and who may be able to utilize that to their advantage, or not even so much who may be able to utilize it to their advantage as much as it is who is going to succumb to that and and have that be their disadvantage more or sooner. Uh, and I think in in combination, those two things are going to dictate the outcome of this match, which really is very difficult in terms of picking a winner. Again, I'll do that on the right side of the pond. Uh, but but just the, the the what we've seen from the two of them so far, this one could go either way. So I know I'm saying this, but again, it's a very, very interesting situation. It's going to be very interesting. You know, again, a high-stakes environment. I mean, that's the other thing here, of course, which I've never really thought about until now as I talk through this, is that Daniel Bryan is on the verge of heading into WrestleMania as, as champion, and that's got to be hang- looming large in his in the back of his head because, of course, he, the last time he was in a championship situation at WrestleMania was WrestleMania 30 when he, well, I suppose technically it was the IC title at 31, but in terms of a world title, it was WrestleMania 30. He won. He never lost that world title, and he never got a one-on-one rematch for it either. Uh, and that's got to, you know, that's got to be looming large as well, and be intertwined with that traumatic experience of his retirement and how all of that has facilitated this crusade of his. It may very well be that on the night Daniel Bryan is a mess, even if he doesn't show it, uh, in 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 certain ways. So yeah, very very interesting, and, and a big a bigger night for Bryan I feel than it will be for AJ Styles. 
so let's see how that one translates. I'm going to take us to a little bit of a break now. When we come back, I will discuss, of course, the Universal Championship match very briefly, the two Royal Rumble matches, and if we get time, we may be able to touch on that, that Cruiserweight Fatal 4-Way as well. So anyway, adverts coming up. Please stick with me, and we'll be back in just a moment. Okay, welcome back to the show, guys. Thanks for sticking with me. We're rolling on through the Royal Rumble card, of course. As I said, very, very excited for this show. You know, I love the fact it's in a, in one of those... I love the fact it's in like a... I think it's like a 50k seater or something like that because my favorite, some, some of my favorite WrestleManias are those kind of medium-sized stadiums. So I'm really looking forward to seeing seeing that. I'm really looking forward to seeing the guys come up through the dugouts. I think that's going to be really cool. Um and just, you know, just the, the atmosphere of Royal Rumble, everything about it I love. We get two, of course, every year now, which is awesome. Uh, and we've got a really great undercard going on this year. Uh, and that includes Brock Lesnar defending the Universal Championship against Finn Balor. And, it, and I, I have to say, uh, you know, as, as kind of opposed to Brock Lesnar as I am, and I am vehemently opposed to everything about him, I want him to go away and never come back. Uh, it's a, such a breath of fresh air to be looking at this match on Sunday rather than Lesnar versus Strowman. And what's fascinating here is if we were looking at Lesnar versus Strowman, I would have to put my money firmly in the camp of Brock Lesnar just because of past president. Every time Lesnar and Strowman have met, Lesnar wins. Uh, and that's because I think Lesnar has that sense of direction in the form of Paul Heyman that Strowman still doesn't have. Strowman has all the abilities of Brock Lesnar, but much like Brock Lesnar when he came back in 2012 and lost to John Cena... Uh, because of his inability to direct all that force in a specific way, you know, Lesnar needed a Heyman to funnel that. I guess that that's what Strowman needs as well. Finn Balor doesn't need that, and Finn Balor is a fascinating, uh, fascinating opponent for Brock Lesnar. Now, a lot of people, including Vince McMahon, including Finn Balor himself, have already talked about this being a fairy tale situation. Have already talked about this being, you know, a Cinderella story, and I'm not so certain that it is. You know, there's a reason they call Finn Balor the the ordinary man capable of extraordinary things. And the first, the very first thing that Brock Lesnar is going to have to try and contend with is whether or not Finn Balor's going to turn up as Finn or whether he's going to turn up as Balor. In other words, is it going to be the leather jacket social justice warrior Finn Balor or is it going to be uh, the demonic augmented physical version of Finn Balor? Regardless of which one shows up, Finn has shown himself to be able to rise to that main event occasion, and on more than one occasion he's shown himself to be able to do it against much larger opponents. We've seen him wrestle the likes of Drew, we've seen him wrestle the likes of Braun Strowman, we've seen him wrestle the likes of Samoa Joe, and while his win-loss record may be dubious in that sense, what's clear is that he has very, very deep-set reserves, very, very deep-set uh, uh, kind of, uh, you know, that just that extra that extra reserve to take him that extra mile in, a, in and he's shown it more extrovertly than someone like you know Daniel Bryan or an AJ Styles uh, has Finn we've seen be injured halfway through a match and go on to win and that match that that happened in was of course for the Universal Championship the other thing that so that's something else Lesnar's going to have to contend with regardless of which one turns up you know regardless of the psychological game you're playing before Finn even shows up then regardless of the physical recognition that you have to have and the respect you have to have for Finn's uh, athletic ability uh, and and why and proven wiry toughness um, the other thing you've got to to contend with if you're Brock Lesnar here is Finn Balor's sense of personal injustice 
justice. Finn, of course, won the Universal Championship at SummerSlam in 2016, had to relinquish it the next night, never got that one-on-one rematch for it uh, until Roman Reigns came along, and that match then kind of got upended because Braun Strowman came out, and while Braun Strowman didn't interfere in the match directly, it was enough of a situation to really kind of cast doubt on whether or not the result would have been the same had Strowman never turned up. What Finn Balor has never had is a clean end-to-end encounter for the Universal Championship with an opportunity to regain the title that he inaugurated. What's more is Finn, you've got to think he's going to be frustrated in seeing the kind of avenue that the Universal Championship has gone down when he made such a success out of the NXT title. And this is a sphere that you've got to think isn't going to have occurred to Brock Lesnar, may not even have occurred to Paul Heyman, which is that Finn Balor, yes, he never got that one-on-one rematch for the Universal Championship, but he's had to sit back and watch as Brock Lesnar's carried that Universal Championship without defending it. And while other people like Roman, like Seth, have been very outspoken about Brock Lesnar's position as a part-time champion, what neither of those guys were in a position to do was to really say, look, I've been in a situation in the past where I was having a, where I was carrying a relatively young championship with a relatively lean legacy, and I really, really took it to that next level of, of meaning something very genuinely special. People, including Seth Rollins, before Finn Balor had helped, you know, and including Neville as well, incidentally, had helped create that atmosphere around the NXT Championship, Sami Zayn, Kevin Owens. But Finn's title reign took on a life of its own, and he really led NXT into the boom period, the true boom period that it's been enjoying. So he's got precedent there. So he's got to be extra frustrated because he's had to sit back and watch Brock Lesnar do something to the Universal Championship that would never have happened under Finn's watch and Finn's watch was cut short and never really given an opportunity to be kind of brought back to the foreground. So there's a lot going on for Finn in this match, a lot fueling him, a lot motivating him, and that means that he's very, very dangerous. I don't think this is a fairy tale. I think this is a story of retribution, and it's not even a story of retribution for Finn. It's a story of retribution for the Universal Championship. What that means is Finn Balor's actually not really wrestling for himself here as much as he is wrestling for the title. And and what I mean by that isn't he's literally wrestling for the title. I mean, he's wrestling almost on behalf of the Universal Championship, it, kind of in the same way Roman did, um, but with that extra motivation because he knows what he'd be able to do with it because and, and he knows we know what he'd be able to do with it because we saw it in NXT, right? So, and the other thing is Finn has proven to be sometimes at his very best when he's fighting for a bigger cause. You know, you think back to WrestleMania when he came out in the rainbow gear and he was fighting on behalf of the LGBTQ community. You know, he's proven that he is someone who relishes the opportunity to fight for a larger cause, to fight for something that he thinks has a certain wider relevance beyond his own career. So he's motivated because of his own career. He's motivated for the uh, for the just probably just for the thrill of being able to say you've beaten Brock Lesnar, but he's also motivated because I think there's a higher purpose behind his challenge here. People have been going around asking whether or not you believe in Finn Balor. I think the more prescient question, and the question that I dare say Finn, whether he's Finn or whether he's Balor, is asking himself inwardly is do I believe in the Universal Championship still in an age where people have given up with it because of Brock Lesnar? That's what this is. This is a situation where Finn Balor is able to put a sword through the past and to create a clean break. Because, of course, the other aspect you have to consider here is that 
there are some majorly motivated Monday Night Raw and indeed SmackDown Live wrestlers who may just decide to pursue the Universal Championship heading into WrestleMania. Seth Rollins has made no secret about his desire to pursue the Universal Championship. He's got to be considered a strong favour for the Men's Rumble this year. Drew McIntyre likewise. Dean Ambrose is, is motivated. There are people gunning for that championship. And, you know, I mean, the spotlight of WrestleMania is another thing to, to motivate you. Uh, but everything encapsulated in one go, you've got to think that Finn is going to be highly motivated to be able to, to to cut off the head of the toxic history of the Universal Championship, be the guy to start fresh against a motivated opponent that he will relish the opportunity to wrestle at WrestleMania. Particularly, he's got to have one eye on Seth because they've got a history with each other beyond the Universal Championship. They've got a history with each other for the Universal Championship on Big Four pay-per-view. So, yeah, very interesting situation. I think Brock Lesnar may look past Finn Balor. I think if he does, it's going to be a big mistake. And I think we're going to see something very special from Finn Balor, regardless of whether or not it's a victorious performance from him. And of course, again, if you want my prediction as to who's going to win, check out the right side of the pond this Friday. Uh, That is presuming I'm going to be appearing on it. Okay. Time moves swiftly on, and I still have two massive matches to cover, which are, of course, the two Royal Rumble matches. Let's start with the Women's Royal Rumble match. And the first thing to say about the Women's Royal Rumble match is that, if anything, this year's is more important than last year's. It was vitally important last year that the women make a success out of their inaugural 30-woman Royal Rumble match, and I think it is very fair to say that they very much did. It was a good Royal Rumble. Wasn't, I think, a great Royal Rumble. It has imperfections to it. And I think the, you know, while understandable, uh, the the utilization of a lot of, of past major women's names, well done for a very specific conceptual purpose, perhaps ultimately hindered what it was truly able to achieve in this superlative era of women's athleticism in WWE. This year, whether or not we get the same number of kind of novelty or legendary entrants remains to be seen. We've already got... 23 of 30 entrants announced so if there are going to be and they're all contemporary full-time wrestlers so if there are going to be any of those surprise entries uh, it's they're going to be in the minority which is kind of exciting in its own right Uh, you've also got a lot more characters this year in the royal rumble uh, for the women you know and one of the things that the royal rumble match thrives upon is personal agenda and and the motivation of different characters first of all you've got the iconics who are very uh open and honest about the fact that they're going into this as a duo. They're going to wrestle this as a duo. They want to be a duo who wins the Royal Rumble. They're going to seek to win this together. And you've got to think that any instance of strength in numbers, whether it's two, three, four, five, whatever, that plays well in your favour. But of course, Peyton and Billy Kay have to be very, very wary of the fact that the draw is random and they may be ended ended up on opposite sides. You know, one may be number one, one may be number 29. We know they're not going to be 30 because of course that's Carmella. Uh, so there's no guarantee they're going to be able to even unite. So whichever one of them comes in first, first of all needs to get past that hurdle of being able to hold on until the other one comes in. Then they can start thinking about whether or not they've got the ability to go on and win this as a tandem. But they've also got to be very aware, of course, that really they aren't the ones with the strength in numbers in this match because on the Monday Night Raw side you have the Riot Squad. The Riot Squad have been seeking to make an impact on Monday Night Raw time and time and time and time again. They've you know shown how sort of nefarious they're willing to get with the way they've targeted Natalia and and the 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 sad passing of her father. We've seen that we've seen Ruby Riot get championship matches 
in the past to make a real good go of it. So she's a genuine threat. And ultimately, they're a trio. And trios historically have done quite well in Royal Rumble matches, particularly in the last decade. You think about Legacy in 2009. You think about The Shield in 2014. So the Riot Squad, you know, you've got to be... If you're in that Royal Rumble match, you've got to be very wary of the Riot Squad and what they might be capable of. Because more than anything else, they are, you know, maybe even more so than Billy and Peyton, they are a tightly knit unit, guys. You know, they've got tattoos of, of when they... When they, I think, when they debut together, you know, they are, they're, they're, they're sisters for for all intents and purposes, and and so that's going to be very difficult to look past. I mentioned Carmella. We know she's going to be the number thirty entrance. She went through the entire duration of the mixed match challenge to emerge with that honor. She. You know, had a stint as the SmackDown Women's Champion earlier this year, held victories over Asuka and Charlotte, but is still considered something of a paper champion. Still considered something of, you know, a fluke because she had the money in the bank. You've got to think she's going to be motivated to take this opportunity to show herself to be a legitimate competitor. And she's in a fantastic spot to be able to do that, being the number 30th entrant, because it may just be, I mean, look may have it, that she walks out and there's no one left. In which case she wins de facto. I don't think she's going to want that, but regardless, she's going to be the freshest in the ring at the end of the at the end of the match. And whether she's in there with, you know, whether there's a, a Charlotte Flair in there, or even a second tier favorite that you've got to think someone like Nia Jax or or Ember Moon. Carmella knows that every single other woman in the field is going to be more fatigued than she is at the end of the match. That gives her a, a fantastic leg up heading into this thing. Uh, Nia Jax is in there, you know, you've got to consider her a favourite for the size as well, but ultimately, you know, I feel like maybe, you know, she's, I feel like she's at the distant back end of the pack this year, she's she's come off of some big devastating defeats this year against Ronda Rousey, you know, although she does have the alliance with Tamina, one wonders whether or not that's going to hold firm in the Royal Rumble match, they had a run in last year, of course. Now is the bigger. I think they had a. Oh no, it was the Battle Royal they had a run in. in sorry, at Evolution. Um, but one wonders whether that that union's going to hold fast in such a high stakes environment. Um, and ultimately, you know, someone of the size of Nia Jax, they're always a hot target in a Royal Rumble match. They tend to get teamed up a lot when you have units in there like the the Riot Squad. When you have units in there like the Iconics, um, even uh, Mandy Rose and uh, Sarah Sonya Deville. Uh, you know, whose kind of friendship's been going through a little bit of tension in recent weeks, but even they're a unit. And actually, with the Women's Tag Team Championships looming on the horizon, of course, Elimination Chamber, you know, you may actually get a lot of women pairing off in this Royal Rumble match to prove to the powers that be that they can function effectively as, as a unit, to solidify their unions as they maybe have one eye on those Tag Team Championships as well, which would be a big honour for them. Maybe puts Bailey at a bit of a disadvantage this year because, of course, Sasha is is challenging Ronda for the Raw Women's Championship. So Bailey, you know, she's going to be, for all intents and purposes, one of the very few kind of lone, uh, one of the Ronins in there, one of the lone warriors in there, along with Ember Moon, who, but nonetheless, we know Ember kind of thrives in that environment. I think for me, though, you know, and this is, by the way, not to mention women like Zelina Vega, women like Nikki Cross, women like Lacey Evans, who are all. You know, new to the Rumble this year, Nikki and Lacey in particular, new to the main roster, they're going to be looking to really make an impact and really make a a kind of a statement performance, which, you know, we've seen time and again through Rumble Law that the Royal Rumble match is a perfect place to do that. So some unknown quantities in the match that will be very difficult to prepare for as well, even for someone like Carmella, who knows that everyone's going to be going to be in there before. I mean, if you don't know where you're going to come, that makes it even more difficult. I think for me, though... Um, you know, the big favourite this year, you've got to consider to be Charlotte Flair. 
Charlotte, of course, goes in with, um, you know, the the motivation of, of having this opportunity to challenge for any championship. So she has a direct inroad towards Ronda Rousey should Ronda retain a Raw Women's Championship. And one thing that we haven't mentioned that nobody ever mentions is how important card structure on the Royal Rumble night is. Because if the Royal Rumble night goes on, Royal Rumble match goes on before the relative championship matches, that completely changes the complexion of your motivation because you know exactly who you can gun for if the championship match goes on first. If the championship match goes on after, then there's no guarantee who you may be able to challenge for. So maybe you, you might want to hold back on declaring declaring your challenge. So that's a psychological aspect. Now we've got two Royal Rumble matches in particular that people should start thinking about. But I think Charlotte Flesh is obviously, I think, going to be gunning for, for Ronda Rousey in particular, although she may just as well gun for, for Becky Lynch for the SmackDown Women's Championship. So she's got that extra motivation. She's got, um, in a weird kind of way, precedence because of her bloodline. We know what Ric Flair was capable of in 1992. That maybe puts some pressure on Charlotte to do well this year, especially if she comes in early because that legacy is going to be looming large. But if anything, we've seen Charlotte really rise to the occasion when that kind of uh, legacy-driven pressure is on her. She's one of the biggest women in the match, one of the strongest women in the match, one of the best-conditioned uh, women in the match. She's got the tremendous record on pay-per-view in terms of wins and losses. She's got a huge amount of big match experience, huge amount of high, a huge amount of high-pressure experience. To me, Charlotte Flair has to be the absolute runaway favourite. That may put a target on her back, and if it does, it's going to be interesting if she can survive without being eliminated. And if she does get eliminated, I would maybe turn my head towards one of the the, the lesser talked about second tier favourites, like an Ember Moon, who may just be sick of kind of sitting in the in the back of the, the back of the line, and who has proven last year in her brief stint in the Royal Rumble match, she has the guile to go all the way if she wants to. So my two sort of women to watch for in this match would be. Charlotte Flo, I think, has to be considered a strong favourite, and Ember Moon. But there's a lot of kind of, of, of you know, pairings I think are going to inform a lot of this, and, and tandems and units, more so than a typical Royal Rumble match, since, you know, it may even come to reflect 1988's Royal Rumble in that sense, with people pairing off very quickly. Um, but there's also a lot of individual motivation among the, the favourites of this match as well, among the, the big names. One thing I forgot to mention about Nyra, she may take the opportunity, a possibility of challenging Becky Lynch potentially for the SmackDown Women's Championship as well. So there's, you know, the big names in this match have perhaps more motivation than standard this year, and that's going to make for a very, I think, highly competitive environment. It's going to be absolutely fascinating to see who comes out with the win, and it's going to be even more fascinating to see how, whether or not it comes on before or after the relative Women's Championship matches may affect the psychology of those performing in the Rumble match, and if they decide to announce their their challenge immediately after uh, as Nakamura did last year or whether they hang on to maybe play the game a little bit as Asuka did last year as well who am I going to pick? again check out the right side of the pond that brings us on Friday that brings us to of course the match I'm most looking forward to which is the men's Royal Rumble match a lot more open spots left still in this one that may change by the time this podcast goes out it may change by the end of the week 19 entrants have been announced thus far for the Royal Rumble match we know R-Truth's going to be number 30 but you know R-Truth doesn't have a great history in the Royal Rumble there was the year he came out and thought he was in Money in the Bank so God knows only what's going to happen when he comes out at number 30 though that's an interesting situation in itself you know because uh, it means it's unpredictable. You know, the number 30th entrant is a very unpredictable entrant. That's not a situation you want to be in. If, I mean, if, if, if it was, you know, uh, 
a big guy like Braun Strowman you knew was coming in 30, you can kind of prepare for that because you know he's going to be there. You know exactly what's coming out. Our truth, you've got no idea what he's going to do. So that kind of, you know, that kind of upends things a little bit. But let's let's go through some of the competitors here. I mean, a lot of them you can write off. I don't think Jinder Mahal or you know Apollo Cruz, Jeff Hardy, the New Day. I don't think any of these sort of names, Titus O'Neil. I don't think any of them are really to be considered major threats. I mean, even someone like Rey Mysterio. You know, these guys are sort of on the back end of their careers now. Uh, Randy Orton, interestingly, not announced yet officially, but you've got to think he's going to be in there. Yes, he's won two in the past, but again, I, I think you could you could perhaps chance looking past him. Um, Bobby Lashley is an interesting one he's just won the Intercontinental Championship he has Leo Rush on his side who could come to be an influence outside of the ring of course um, but ultimately again you know I'm not I'm not that convinced uh, it's going to be interesting to see whether or not he has the endurance to go far in the Royal Rumble match if he gets an early number I think a later number very much favours Bobby Lashley actually if he gets maybe a 27 or a 28 then he can come in and completely change the complexion of the match. But I think Bobby Lashley's performance is going to... And, and how far he goes and how well he does is all going to depend on the look of the draw for him. Uh, Drew McIntyre and Samoa Joe, I think, are two of the, the real sleeper threats in this thing. And it's funny calling them sleeper threats because you look at how imposing they are physically and you go, well, they couldn't possibly be sleeper threats. But just in terms of... of Maybe not being at the forefront of the Packers' favourites to win, but being very, very viable contenders to pick up a victory. Samojo is a master of intimidation. I guess maybe he's at a bit of a disadvantage in the sense that because this is such a vast field of competitors, it's not like he can... And it's and it's multi-brand as well. It crosses the brands. You can't exactly go around intimidating 29 other guys. I'm sure he could if he got the chance, but he's not had the platform... To do that, if Samoa Joe can get himself into a position on the night where he's able to throw guys out one by one as they come down, you know, maybe channel a bit of 1994 Diesel or Rikishi 2000, then that would play heavily in his favour. I think that's the kind of environment that best suits Samoa Joe because then he can play on the art of intimidation a little bit. He can draw on that sort of intelligent brutality that's kind of become his trademark. But I think that's very much, you know, he's going to be dangerous no matter what. You, you'd have to look out for him in a, in a busy environment as well because he can come up with that in a clutch from behind at any moment, knock you out, pick you up, throw you out. He's got the strength to lift that dead weight. But I think if, you know, the situation you really don't want Samoa Joe in, if you're one of his com- combatants here, is for him to be in the ring on his own when you come out. God help anybody who may find themselves in, in that situation, even if you are a Drew McIntyre. Drew McIntyre, again, a very interesting one. We know he's got the endurance because of stuff he's done on the indie circuit. We know he's got the strength. We know he's got the brutality. We know he's got the motivation because he's been on a mission since he came back to the company. And indeed, his mission has been to put the locker room on notice. What better an opportunity to do that than when you're in there with 29 other guys? So he's going to be, you know, you've got to think he's going to be absolutely relishing this opportunity to do exactly what he said he came back to the WWE to do. We've seen how he's got wins over Dolph Ziggler. He's got wins over Seth Rollins in the past. So he's got some, some major wins to his name. We know his physical capabilities. People refer to him as a Terminator. And you know, it may just prove if he comes in early, if he gets, a, you know, a, one of the first five or ten, ten entries there and he comes in early, he may just mow through a lot of people and prove himself to be a Terminator. But, of course, the thing that marks the Terminator out is how much punishment he can absorb. And I don't know if we've really seen that properly tested by Drew. A lot of the time, he's on the offensive in his singles work because he holds the power advantage, he holds the sides advantage, he holds the aggression advantage. And while he's been on the back foot, he's never really been on the back foot for an extended period of time like you would be in a Royal Rumble match you know 
a late number would favour him in that sense, but if he comes in early, the key is going to be how much can he absorb and keep moving forwards. So that would be a real test for him. Um, just still looking down the field here, you've got guys like Mustafa Ali, you know, the heart of 205 Live now, the the, the heart of, uh, or is he the soul, I always forget, of, of SmackDown Live. Ali could go a long way. He, he's small, he's zippy, we know, we've contrary to Drew, we've seen exactly how much punishment Ali can absorb. He's gone 20-25 minutes at a time just taking punishment from bigger guys than him. Uh, he's gotten himself embroiled with Samoa Joe, so he's going to want to keep one eye out for the right hand of destruction there and not get caught by Joe in the midst of everything, you know, in the in the chaos of it. I wouldn't be surprised to see Ali go far. I think he's got that, that, that heart to drive him to that point. Um, and it's going to be interesting, particularly with Seth Rollins in the same match, because the two of them are very similar in the sense they both have that seemingly indomitable willpower to be able to go on. And furthermore, a bit like Balor in the Brock Lesnar match we were talking about earlier, Ali has a sense of social responsibility as well. And he's going to be, that's something that informed Kurt Angle in 2004 to getting down to the last three, no less. And while Ali's not the biggest guy in the match, you know, maybe that plays to his favour. Maybe he disappears into the crowd a little bit. Maybe his athleticism allows him to survive eliminations that bigger guys maybe wouldn't be able to survive. Um, we know he's got the cardio. We know he's got the, the, the ability. I guess maybe he needs to make sure he doesn't take too many risks. There may be a bit of a temptation there just from natural instinct and that conditioning in 205 Live for several years to just automatically go for the leaping offense. And if he does, that could that could seem come unstuck, especially when you think about the size of some of the other guys in there, whether it's a Drew McIntyre, a Bobby Lashley, a Baron Corbin, you know, or, or anyone just just that's just bigger than him, you know. So he needs to be careful of that. But if he can measure that, you know, and maybe even team up with someone like Mysterio, find an ally in there. Ali could be a real dark horse in this thing. Mark my words. Um, Andrade Almas. Let's talk about Andrade Almas, who's recently been showing in his ring work with Rey Mysterio that he's recaptured. He's still got that. I almost said recaptured, but really, he's it's a case of he's still got that sense of. Um, uh, discipline of focus, of vision, of in-ring discipline that took him to the NXT Championship, uh, and and saw him defend successfully that NXT Championship against Johnny Gargano in a real classic. <clears throat> we saw what Andrade can do last year when he got a 30-minute performance. It took John Cena to eliminate him, I believe. Um, oh, tell a lie, sorry, it was Randy Orton who eliminated him. But we saw what he was capable of in a Rumble match. Now, I guess maybe where Andrade's. Uh, uh, disadvantage here is this year is that Zelina Vega is maybe focused on her own Royal Rumble and she's really been the key to getting Andrade to focus on his ring work and put aside the partying and take it to the next that level with Zelina's attention split as well on the women's Royal Rumble match one wonders whether or not Andrade will be able to carry that focus into the match and if he isn't capable of doing that then I think that his, a victory for him would be a long shot if he is capable of doing that he's a real threat folks a real threat even if he's a relatively untested one I think for me, though, there there are two names to really watch out for this year. Uh, I haven't mentioned Dean Ambrose. Uh, I would be shocked to see too much of a prominent prominent uh, performance from him because, well, I'll get to that in a second. First of all, John Cena. Uh, news coming out that he may be injured. Uh, Going to be interesting, therefore, to see if he even makes it to the match. If he does make it to the match, 
John Cena is a perennial threat whenever he's in the ring. People are already referring to him as the greatest of all time. He's bolstered by the fact that he doesn't want to sit on the sidelines like he had to for WrestleMania last year. That's motivating him in a way that we haven't seen him motivated in, in quite some time. That makes him an even bigger threat. He's already won two Rumbles, so he knows that he's capable of winning Royal Rumbles from, from at least back-end positions. So maybe if he if he comes in the first half, then that's a little untested. Um, but we know what he's capable of in the ring. There's a reason why he's such a legend. But the thing to watch out for here is last year when he came out, every everybody in the ring stopped and they all pounced on him. You've got to think he's still going to be a similar target this year. So it's all about whether or not he's motivated to meet that challenge. With his priorities sort of tormented with Hollywood and, and, and things like that and the Royal Rumble being such a hefty, dangerous environment, uh, that's going to be the, the telling moment for John. If he can make it past any kind of initial flurry, then you've got to think he's going late into the game. Alternatively, people may, may gun for him particularly, given the recent sort of swell in his reputation in the locker room. Someone like Drew McIntyre in, particularly, in particular, who may harbour resentment about his first stint in the ring under John Cena's watch uh, in WWE earlier in the decade. Anything like that, you know, so he's going to be a target, but he's a fiercely capable target. The question is whether or not he can still go with the top stars of the day. If he can't, he's going to very quickly get left behind. If he can... John Cena may end up picking a record-tying third victory to go on to a record-breaking chase for a 17th World Championship at WrestleMania. You can't, can't look past him as much as it may just destroy us all to see him uh, pick up a win. Um, Seth Rollins, though, you've got to think is is the favourite this year or certainly one of the most prominent favourites. He's motivated. He's just recently lost the Intercontinental Championship. He's just recently had to... Uh, uh, go through these sort of emotional experience of, of Roman Reigns' announcement and his departure from the company. Then the betrayal of Dean Ambrose. I mentioned Dean Ambrose a few moments ago. I dare say that his obsession with uh, you know trying to torment Rollins may get the better of him at the Royal Rumble. The Royal Rumble isn't a situation that's kind of uh, best suited for that. And if you narrow your focus too much, whether it's on Bobby Lashley for taking the IC title or whether it's on Seth Rollins for, for tormenting him a bit more, if you narrow your focus too much, someone's going to blindside you, throw you out at any given moment because there's a whole lot of competing agendas in a Royal Rumble match. And Dean needs to be careful not to get a little too obsessed with his personal obsession, like his promo on Raw this last week seemed to intimate that he might be. That's why I don't think Ambrose is going to do all that well this year. I think he's going to have a little too much of a narrow focus. Seth Rollins, on the other hand, his focus seems to be on winning the Royal Rumble match more than it does getting revenge on Dean this time, and that's going to play to his to his favour, as is his indomitable willpower. Spoke many times about that in the past, and the Royal Rumble match is exactly the kind of environment in which that's going to really, really come up trumps. Seth Rollins' willpower is what sets him apart from everybody else. It's what allows him to continue where other people would fail. It's what allows him to succeed. Rollins is addicted to success. He needs it, and it's his willpower that drives him to get it. He plays Russian roulette every single time he's in the ring, and it's his willpower that allows him to succeed every time he's in the ring. That's going to need to come into its own on Sunday night if Seth is going to win, because he's got a lot of people going for him. Drew McIntyre in particular is going to be pissed at him for the win that Seth got over him on Raw this last week. But if anyone can do it, if anyone can pull it out of the bag, it's the guy who won the last kicking contest on one leg, uh, and that is, of course... Uh, the architect Seth Rollins, 
Um, and also he's motivated by the personal crusade of wanting to, to get the Universal Championship off Brock Lesnar because like Finn, he knows what he could do with the championship. We saw it with the IC title. Seth Rollins lost the opportunity to be the first Universal Champion. He lost the opportunity to be the second Universal Champion, which is all tied into his story with Triple H. Uh, this is a key moment in his continued journey of redemption to get back to being his best, the best version of himself after the kind of... Uh, experience he suffered at the hands of Triple H who recently showed back up and basically challenged Seth Rollins to once again show them as he once did in 2015 there's a there's I mean you could almost do I could almost do an entire entire hour just exploring Rollins motivations in this match unfortunately I'm already coming up to an hour so I'm trying to cram everything in but I'll be able to get some more thoughts out there on the right side of the pond on Friday needless to say obviously I'm backing my boy all the way this Sunday I'm firmly in the Seth Rollins camp I am completely biased I am leaning entirely towards him and I I tell you there's not going to be someone more invested in the outcome of a Royal Rumble match since Bobby Heenan was claiming that it wasn't fair to Flair uh, back in 1992. This year, I'm going to be all about what's best for Seth. And if on Sunday night he's able to pull it out of the bag, believe me, I'm going to be so over the moon. Uh, it's going to be nightmarish, those 60 minutes, but I'm firmly behind Seth Rollins. I think he can do it. I'm I'm willing him to do it. And if he does do it, mark my words, if Brock Lesnar walks away with the Universal Championship of Finn, which is no guarantee, but if he does, Brock better be very much aware of the fact he's not the most dangerous entity in WWE. Seth Rollins' willpower is. And there's a reason why, quite apart from the fate of circumstance, Brock Lesnar is, is or rather I should say Seth Rollins, is the only man the only man that Brock Lesnar has wrestled in WWE against whom he does not hold a pinfall victory. Seth Rollins winning the Royal Rumble, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but if it does, it means that, take my words for it, Brock Lesnar, you're on borrowed time, pal. Or Finn Balor, for that matter, and, and it'd be great to see Seth and Finn lock up given their history. I'm not saying it's a foregone conclusion that Seth's going to win. He's got a lot to get past. Joe, Ali, uh, you know, Ambrose, Lashley, McIntyre, the New Day as a unit, Corbin, who's going to harbour some resentment towards Seth for catalyzing his downfall, Mustafa Ali, the underdog, Rey Mysterio, the underdog veteran, Andrade, the, 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 the master of precision focus, John Cena, the living legend. I mean, there's so many mountains to climb. God, I hope he does it. That is about it, folks. I've rattled through some of the biggest matches on this Sunday's Royal Rumble card. I've shied away from picking any any winners outright. If you want my predictions, tune into the right side of the pond this Friday when I will be joined by Maverick and maybe Mazza as we will go through our predictions for the big show on Sunday. As I said earlier on in the show, do be sure to check out LordsOfPain.net throughout the week for one, two, three columns from myself. Four columns, in fact, including the, the first reaction to the Royal Rumble itself, as well as this podcast, of course, and the right side of the pond on Friday and Aftershock on Sunday. So it's a busy old week for myself. Check out all that great content and check out all the great shows here on Lords of Pain Radio as well, from Kingdom of Honor on Mondays, Global the, the Global Revolution and One Nation Radio on Tuesdays, myself on Wednesdays, The Implications with the Perfect Ten 
on Thursdays, the right side of the pond on Fridays, Aftershock, Retroshock, the Legacy Series and more on Saturdays as well. Lots of great content. Check it all out. And do get in touch with me as well. Get in touch with me about your thoughts about the show, feedback for the show, your thoughts about Sunday's show, your, your thoughts about my thoughts about Sunday's show and its biggest matches. And hell, give me some of your picks as well. You can get in touch in a whole wide range of ways. You can get in touch on Twitter at LOP Plan. That's the best way. Or you can find me on Facebook. Just look up Samuel Plan. Hit me up with a comment or two on lordsofpain.net on any of my radio posts or any of my columns you can find me via email at samuel.plan101 at gmail.com or best yet sign up to the LOP forums it's very quick very simple to do you can reach me on there and we've actually got a tournament going on a column writing tournament king of the columnists 7 is about to start register your interest get involved go write a column I get great comments great feedback every single week and most of you listening to this would make brilliant wrestling columnists and at LOP you'll find no other more creatively fulfilling environment as a critic of wrestling so do go get signed up do go compete or just sign up for the fun of it either way do come join the best wrestling community on the internet that does it for me I'll be back next Wednesday with the performance art review of the Royal Rumble man I am nervous I'm a wreck but I'm so excited I can't wait to see you next week I hope you're looking forward to the show And by the way, in fact, you don't even have to wait till next week because I'll be on Aftershock with my live reactions. So check me and Steve out then. That just about does it. So thanks for listening and have a good one, guys.